The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. Anyone who passes through Vancouver Airport recognizes the facility like the city, the region, and the province it services is beautiful. So many other airports around the world are utilitarian structures designed to move people with no or little regard for the aesthetics that make people feel as if they're in a special place. Tamara Vrooman, the CEO of YVR, agrees. She says it's spectacular. YVR is not only beautiful, it's functional as well. Tourism and cargo facilitate $20.2 billion in total economic output and $10.4 billion in total GDP, along with $1.4 billion in revenue to the government. I know the numbers are astounding. More than 26,000 people work at the airport and another 126,000 indirect jobs are linked to it. In other words, YVR is a big deal. The airport is also a vital part of BC's role as a gateway between North America and Asia and North America and Europe. So going forward, the airport's 2037 master plan envisions strengthening the non-passenger side of the business by putting land assets into productive use in cargo and logistics and activating digital opportunities. I invited Tamara Vrooman, the CEO of YVR, to join me for a conversation that matters about the airport's role as a diverse global hub. Tamara, welcome. Yeah, nice to see you, Stuart. Are we there yet as a diverse global hub or do we have a way to go yet? We certainly have the makings of being there as a diverse global hub. We, uh, we've had tremendous success as a gateway, particularly for people connecting Asia to the Americas and to Europe. But we really have a lot of opportunities still on the cargo and logistics side. And if there's one thing that we learned through the pandemic is that supply chains matter. We're all supply chain experts, are we not? And certainly an airport the size of ours, uh, with the significance that we have for the region, serving the entire province, we have a big role to play there. So did the pandemic really highlight this opportunity that exists to be much more of a cargo uh, facility in balance with the passenger side? Well, certainly as the saying goes, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And so when the pandemic hit and our, our passenger volumes were way, way down, we took, yes, yeah. indeed, we took the opportunity to uh, look at our entire business end to end, take that couple of steps back, challenge assumptions, take a look at where things were going and uh, to take that next big step forward. And so one of the things that really emerged was our land use plan, how we hadn't changed it in 30 years and the opportunity uh, to support not only passenger volumes, which we know will come back and have already started to do so, but also um, the role that we played in trade. Because you know, nobody builds an airport as an end unto itself. We exist for the sole reason of serving the community and the economy that supports it. So if we want to build out as this cargo hub, mm. Is there going to be a requirement for a third runway? Mm. So I get asked that question uh, quite a bit. And we had in our previous land use plan been saving land for either a third runway somewhere on Sea Island or a third runway that would extend into the ocean. But you know, a lot has changed since our first land use plan was approved almost 30 years ago in terms of technology, in terms of aircraft load, uh, and in terms of the way that uh, aviation functions. So we don't see any scenario where we would require a third runway. Uh, 
any time in the next 50 or 60 years. In fact, we would have to be the size of London Heathrow before a third runway would even be on the horizon. So we think that there's better use for that land, making better use of the two runways we have, using technology to improve the efficiency and the throughput. We can easily double the size of the airport and then some with the infrastructure that we have. So when you're talking about that land use change, you're talking about putting up more facilities, more buildings. Absolutely. So uh, Sea Island is about 1,600 hectares. It's a very, uh, very uh, large piece of industrial zone land. And in this change, getting rid of the land that had been set aside for a third runway, that allowed us to free up 400 acres of industrial zone land in the north and another 800 acres for further commercial densification in the south to improve our cargo, logistics, support, not only for the airport, but for the region. So if you come around the north side of the airport mm -hmm. now and you see that massive Canada Post facility, yes. as well as those of some of the other major courier companies yep. or uh, you know small package movers, yep. Is that area then going to be extending further out to west to the to the shoreline? That's exactly right, all the way out uh, to uh, to the west. So that piece of land uh, is the piece of land that we've been talking about. We probably won't develop it all at once, but there's about eight billion dollars of developed uh, value there that can uh, can be extracted. We know that. If you talk to my colleague at the Port of Vancouver, you'll know that industrial land is in very short supply very in, uh, <laughs> in the Metro Vancouver region. And so we've had a number of very uh, productive conversations with investors and businesses alike in terms of additional warehouse space, additional logistics and cargo space, but also light manufacturing that needs access to an aerodrome and an aviation cargo hub. Does Amazon have an eye on that land? Uh, certainly Amazon, I think, probably would take the whole thing if, uh, if, if, uh, if we let them. We don't think that's exactly the best way to go, but certainly those uh, kinds of uh, businesses are the ones that we're talking to. And that really has been the big shift that we've seen as a result of COVID, isn't it? The, just the movement of all of those goods, domestically and internationally. Well, certainly e-commerce, I think, is, is here to stay, notwithstanding the fact that uh, some of the companies that support e-commerce have seen a softening of their stock price. I think it was just going up in one direction for so long. There was some predictable softening there. But the idea that we need to be able to move goods as well as people in an agile way, frankly, markets that used to be open yesterday are not open today. Uh, in terms of trade and restrictions. So how do we be flexible to in, uh, in order to support business? We are a small, open, trade-based economy. Uh, role of an airport is not just to move people, although we're going to do that and continue to grow and lead in that area. It's an and, not an or. But cargo has been uh, a place where I think we've underperformed in terms of the airport's capacity to add to the economic growth of the region. It's gotta get you to hang on for a second while we take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. It makes sense to me when you're looking at domestic or North American mm -hmm. movement back and forth. Mm -hmm. but like the Port of Vancouver, when you're wanting to uh, attract international cargo shippers that would be coming through uh, well, YVR as a gateway, 
What particular advantages does YVR offer those who have that just-in-time, we've got to get these urgent packages across the ocean mm -hmm. uh, over, let's say, Seattle or mm -hmm. San Francisco or Oakland? Mm -hmm. certainly, those, uh, certainly those markets have significant cargo, uh, cargo value as well, but just like we see passengers that are uh, bound for the United States transiting through YVR over the past decade as part of our gateway strategy, the same is true for uh, cargo. So, you know, we just offer a, a different cost structure than you would find in those markets. The dollar is different, the ability to move goods, some of the trade relationships uh, are different, and the proximity to the marine port, the largest port in, uh, in Canada, is also uh, useful. We have been looking at ways also to improve our cargo throughput, looking at the first facility of its kind that has air to marine cargo so we can skip to the ground transport. Those kinds of things will improve efficiency uh, as well as uh, reducing GHGs. One of the other things we've seen with cargo is it's not just e-commerce. Uh, the highest value goods actually move through uh, air cargo as opposed to marine cargo. So things like food food comes uh, via air. Things like uh, PPE, medicine, pharmaceuticals all come by air. And then high value component parts for electronics and other things that make our lives more efficient, more connected, but also uh, lower our carbon footprint. One element in that is uh, the labor force. Mm. Um, you've got to get people who will come out and do those jobs. Is it getting harder and harder to attract people to come and do that kind of work? We've been very lucky as an airport to always be one of the uh, high, most highly sought after uh, employers in, in our region. We have a good reputation, we have interesting work, it's diverse, it's dynamic, uh, and, uh, and it's inclusive uh, from, a, from a diversity and inclusion point of view. Certainly, we have had our challenges, as have many in the labor market, but I think early on we recognized that there'd be a bit of a war for talent, and so we became the first airport in uh, Canada and one of the few in North America to be a living wage employer. And so as a result, you know, we had 60 positions that we advertised for in February of this year, for example. We had over 800 applicants for those positions, uh, speaking 32 languages. It really, the value proposition's pretty simple come and invest your time with us, we'll invest in you. This is a really interesting, growing, thriving, important part, as you said, of our region. Come be part of it, you'll have an interesting career, um, and we'll, we'll invest in you in the process. So over to the passenger side, mm -hmm. where are we at as far as passenger loads at this point in 2022 uh, versus where we were in 2019, mm -hmm. just before the pandemic? Sure. Are we close to getting back to where we we're, were? We're very close. And in fact, what's, what's really been interesting is to see how the traffic has come back. So, you know, Stu, we would have said pre-pandemic that two or 3% annual growth would have been a spectacular year. And in fact, between 2018 and 2019, YVR saw an annual growth rate of 3%, and we were pretty pleased with that. But in the eight short months <laughs> from <laughs> January to August of this year in 2022, we saw a 168% increase in our passenger volumes. And so... Could, could you repeat that? 168%. And so when people Ooh. say, why was the aviation system so, so stressed? You know, we didn't just uh, have reduced volumes for a day or two. It was almost two years. And then to have a startup 
of that magnitude and that scale, I don't know very many industries uh, that, uh, that could uh, handle that. And ours certainly, where people need to be trained, uh, it, we don't just hire people off the street and they put on the uh, YVR shirt and they're working the next day. There's a lot of technical things that go into it. Um, there was uh, some growing pains, but people have come back. Domestic, domestic is uh, 105, 106 percent of what it was pre-pandemic. U.S. about 85 percent. The one that is trailing is international. Uh, to Europe has been very strong. To parts of the South Pacific, very strong. To Japan, Korea, India is a huge market for us. But China, mainland China in particular, which was so much a part of our pre-pandemic uh, travel and passenger flow just as you know is uh, still virtually uh, shut down and so very very slow. So is that because of China's COVID uh, rules and protocols or is it because of changing geopolitical uh, forces at work right now too? Both. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the short term it, 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 is the, it is the pandemic but we don't expect the volumes to come back. You know we had we had eight different Chinese carriers, up to 22 flights a day from mainland China to YVR, the single highest number of flights from China uh, of any airport in North America, regardless of the size of the city. So it was a very much uh, a strategy that uh, just kept on delivering and working. We will see a return of some of that China volume, of that I'm absolutely uh, confident, but I don't think it will be at the levels that it was pre-pandemic. And it's all right because we have lots of, it allows us, frankly, we didn't focus on other markets that uh, were in need of service. India, as you saw from the StatsCan data, now has surpassed China as a source of immigration. Huge demand for flights to India. The closure of Russian airspace has meant that only Air India can fly, Air Canada and other carriers can't. So that's causing a little bit of a, a logistical challenge, but certainly the market is there. We look forward to expanding our service to India. This is our second break. We'll be back in a moment. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. Well, that actually brings up an interesting point, and I was thinking about it. So if I'm in Europe, Western Europe, mm. and I need to get to Asia, uh, would I not be better off coming through Vancouver and across the Pacific? I just, from a level of comfort as a passenger, I think I'd rather go that way. And are you starting to see an increase or uh, more interest in in those routes? We absolutely are, and with the efficiency of long-haul aircraft, uh, it's now quite possible to have aircraft of the correct gauge and, and the correct, correct uh, cost structure to be able to make those uh, flights viable. We also uh, welcome during the pandemic Turkish Airlines mm -hmm. uh, with direct connectivity to Istanbul. Istanbul is a major trade and cargo hub, but it's also an excellent jumping off point into Iran and to parts of Central Asia, which are, you know, we have a large Persian diaspora here. So uh, connecting that route that direction as opposed to the other direction is also um, pretty exciting. You talk about those long haul aircraft, uh, the Airbus, mm. uh, can, can it land at Vancouver Airport? Uh, certainly the A380, I think, is the one you're talking about, oh, yeah. which is essentially the double-decker of, uh, of aircraft. It can and does uh, land at uh, YVR. We have a few carriers that fly the A380. As you probably know, the A380 is being phased out because it is uh, just a very, very large, it's the Cadillac, sort of. Think of yeah. an El Dorado 
uh, from the 60s, very, very large aircraft for the kind of flying that mm -hmm. is, uh, that is uh, really required now. But we're also bringing uh, sustainable aviation fuel and other options to our airport to make any size of aircraft more efficient, but also uh, lower emissions as part of our uh, net zero commitment. So that brings up an interesting point. People go, okay, increased air, air travel, mm. uh, greenhouse gas emissions, mm. uh, airplanes do play a role, and you're flying in the stratosphere. What can YVR do to contribute to, uh, towards a strategy of reducing that impact on the climate? Well, as you say, aviation is absolutely a fossil fuel driven industry. And so we have to do our part to decarbonize our operations end to end. And while no doubt about it, uh, the aircraft themselves are major emitters, but how that aircraft flies, how it performs, that's largely governed by what happens on the ground. So we, uh, one of the things we did during the pandemic was uh, set a roadmap to net zero by 2030. That would see us make the changes that will support not only our direct operations, but also support uh, our airline customers. So things like, for sure, doing green building and energy retrofits for our terminal, the largest building in British Columbia, but we also can electrify the fleets that serve all of the aircraft on the ground. When aircraft come into the gates, they turn off their engines and now plug in to an electrified source uh, just like they do in the port and other places. We also are working with Navigation Canada, so the rate of ascent and descent can make a huge difference to the emissions. Think about it just like your car, you know, whether you put the, push the accelerator going downhill or uphill makes a big difference to how much fuel you consume, it's exactly the same with aircraft. And then finally, we're working to bring sustainable aviation fuel to the airport. That uh, has a significant benefit in terms of reducing the GHGs when the plane is actually in the air. So one of the components of the airport that I think a lot of people don't think about mm -hmm. is how good you are at managing airports. Mm -hmm. And I say plural. Mm -hmm. What other airports does YVR <laughs> have a responsibility or at least a consulting and management role? Yeah, cer certainly uh, when we uh, started um, as an airport authority back in 1992, we were one of the few uh, airports in the world that took the model of a private uh, non-share capital for-profit uh, company. So we have to earn a profit, but 100% of our profits are reinvested in the airport. So the best of the private sector with a public sector mandate. And that model, which brought the best of innovation, the best of art and building and operations management that you talked about, but also serving the broader growth and support of the region is one that attracted attention from airports around the world. So we started a consulting uh, company that took sort of exported YVR's expertise to airports as far away as Liverpool and Cyprus. We, uh, uh, that team recently uh, rebuilt the LaGuardia Airport. Uh, and uh, all of and, that is part of And what a magic transformation was. Like, <laughs> yeah, when, when I you was go talking there. about utilitarian <laughs> yeah, airports, indeed. I was thinking about LaGuardia at one yeah, point, but now yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, so <laughs> all of that was, uh, was absolutely uh, um, started at YVR. We've subsequently sold our interest in that particular uh, consulting business uh, a few, several actually now, years ago. Mm -hmm. But there's a very much an intellectual and a community connection, and uh, we're often in contact with those folks, and they are with us. Third and final break. We'll be right back. 
The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of the following and viewers like you. So you talk about the, the management structure and your responsibility to turn a profit. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, you got hit during uh, 2019, and you put a stop to the building of that extension of uh, the parking lot. Mm -hmm. uh, are you now in a position where you can uh, turn the ignition switch back mm. on on that? Because if you're talking about the passenger loads that you're projecting, you're going to need it. Mm. We certainly uh, um, uh, are looking at our now partially built parkade as well as our partially built uh, utilities building that are right at the front door that we stopped at the beginning of the pandemic because we needed to preserve cash, but also, frankly, we didn't need those assets uh, at that time. One of the things we're really looking at at parking, though, is is bringing more cars uh, uh, to the airport the best way to go? And a lot of that parking is not only for passengers, it's also for the 26,500 employees that work mm -hmm. there. And so we've just launched a service that'll start next week on busing operations from various regions to bring employees efficiently to the airport, particularly at times when the Canada line doesn't run. We're looking at partnerships with some other uh, transit and um, uh, electric vehicle providers to see if we can move people more efficiently to the airport, particularly from the cruise terminal, for example, uh, to the airport. So until we finish doing those modeling, uh, that modeling, we're not entirely convinced that we need two full parkades. We certainly will probably uh, build the new one and do something with the old one. Uh, so those are some of the things that are uh, calibrating when we'll start building the park gate again. And so as we're coming active again, mm -hmm. emerging from COVID, do you think that the big challenges are behind you now? Or do you still have uh, one or two things in front of you that you're just going, eh, we still got a bit of work to do? Avi and if so, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> aviation is uh, is a very interesting uh, business. You know, it works it works best when it has open access uh, geopolitically and commercially and stable and productive cost structure and revenue streams. Uh, we don't really have either of those things at the moment uh, given what's happening to inflation and the supply of fuel and what's happening geopolitically. I think that's a, a, a challenge but also an opportunity. You know, aviation, we have not done as much as other sectors to digitize and improve the customer experience. We haven't used digital technology to improve the way that we move people and goods through our airport. We have lots of opportunity in our cargo space, for example, just partnered with a, uh, a firm, again, first of its kind in the, in the country, to use AI and data to have just-in-time uh, truck dispatch. Right now, because we've underinvested in our cargo facilities, we're a bit uh, analog and out of date. You know, we have a guy waiting for a box, we have a box waiting for a guy waiting for a truck, we have an aircraft waiting for all of those things. It's a pretty analog business. We now have the capability to send a signal to the aircraft, find out what cargo is actually on that uh, aircraft, dispatch exactly for that, arrive just in time, improving significantly the efficiencies, wait time, and throughput while reducing GHGs at the same time. So technology, I think, is one of the investments that we've made. We've created a full digital twin of our airport, only one of four airports in the world to do that. We can now model and partner in ways that we couldn't before. I think we have a great and exciting time of growth ahead of us, but it's going to not be done only through bricks and mortar. It's going to be done through partnerships. It's going to be done through our significant relationship with Musqueam and the investment that we have there. And it's going to be done through digitization and decarbonization.
wrap up this conversation. Yeah, thanks very much, Steve.